there and welcome to episode 62 of the Hawthorns Debate Club. My name is Jamie Clay and I'm joined every week by two gentlemen to have a few conversations and discussions about West Bromwich Albion. So let me start by saying a warm hello to my good friend Alex Collins. Hello. And hello to my little brother Joe Clay. Hello. So I don't want to speak prematurely but it's starting to look like some of those evil spirits and demons that have been lingering over the Hawthorns the last 18 months may have finally been exercised. Insert spooky noises here. Because the reality is, although things are far from perfect off the pitch, on the pitch, under the watchful eye of Senor Corboran, Albin have kind of undergone a small but not insignificant transformation in the last few weeks. The team have gone from looking fatigued and uninterested to suddenly looking energized and organized and dare I say confident which has ultimately culminated in a three game unbeaten run and I am going to confirm that we are now on a win streak of three games all said and done it it seems as though the matador Mr. Corbran has pulled us back from the brink of disaster and although we're not in the realms of daring to dream just yet we are very much trying to keep our feet planted on terra firma. There may be further restoration ahead, potentially. Who knows? But before we get to all of the soul-searching and dreaming of better times ahead, let me say a huge thank you for downloading and listening to the Hawthorns Debate Club. We appreciate every single person who listens to the podcast. We love you all. Thank you for sharing it on social media. Um, Twitter or Instagram or wherever you're based. Please do tell your friends and family and other Albion fans about it. You can tell non-Albion fans about it and just tell them to indulge in some light-hearted conversation about West Bromwich Albion. Do everything you can to get the podcast to as many people as possible. So, on this week's episode of the Hawthorns Debate Club, as we've kind of wrapped up the first half of the season and we now enter this World Cup break this winter break we're going to talk about the stoke game maybe reflect a little bit on time and life under corberan um, as well as talk about obviously all of the latest news as well so the place to start has to be saturday afternoon at three o'clock albion played stoke it finished two nil to a well-deserving West Brom and I think as pleasant as it was to watch Albion finally score and get that kind of duck off your back you have monkeys on your back don't you You don't have ducks off your back to get that animal off your back whatever animal it was that was kind of chasing us around to finally score at home and end the drought that's a better metaphor to use and to finally pick up three points at home and continue this unbeaten little streak we're under Corbrand. I think the thing that was more encouraging than that was the nature of the performance that led to the victory really encouraging in all areas of the pitch against a, a fairly tough opposition in Stoke one that presented their own challenges on the day and ultimately securing the three points via two goals one from Kyle Bartley and the second well, we can talk about the second from Thomas Asante in a moment. Guys, me and Alex were there soaking up the atmosphere, but can you just summarise your thoughts and feelings overall about this game before we break it down in a little bit more detail? It's nice to be happy, isn't it? It's nice to be cheerful 
I suppose. It's nice to have something to celebrate. It's nice to see a good performance. I think that Stoke games answered all those questions and answered them in a positive way. Everyone seemed to work their socks off. Everyone seemed to know what they were doing and Stoke couldn't handle that. And if we do that every week, I don't think a lot of teams will handle us if we do that and show that kind of performance on the pitch. For listeners of the podcast who might be unaware, that is Joe's cheerful voice. Alex, what are your thoughts? I thought it was brilliant. The the atmosphere was electric. It was an absolute pleasure to be at the stadium. You know, it was such a well-played game. I thought every player, every man to a, a man. Is that what they say? That's the phrase, isn't it? Big Dave always used to say. Is every that... duck to a man. <laughs> every man to a man. But yeah, I just think, you know, full credit to uh, Corbyn for getting, you know, the Hawthorns atmosphere back. I owe him a lot. You know, I thought it was brilliant. It's really interesting that one of the things that he's come out and one of the things that they've targeted as a playing squad is this idea of reconnecting the fans and the players. Obviously, that had been almost severed entirely under Steve Bruce and it had led to some kind of unpleasant scenes where certain players were booed and just a general toxicity around games and almost a flat atmosphere when it wasn't toxic. And it is amazing that in the space of what, three weeks now? How long is the Carlos Corbran reign? The dynasty? It's approximately that. How much of a pendulum swing there has been in regard to the mood and the attitude of the fans towards the players. We spoke about him an awful lot last week. Kyle Bartley, we had Chris on from the Albion Analysis podcast and he spoke about the role Kyle Bartley should play in a team for him to be at his most effective. This idea of him being a box defender I know those guys have produced a bunch more statistics about just how good a box defender he is at this championship level. I believe he's the second best in the league by every metric they use to evaluate a player who defends the box. Obviously, the defence looked fairly comfortable in this game, but Kyle Bartley again popping up. And I think he kind of encapsulates this shift in mood of the player who was booed off against Birmingham. I don't want to talk about all of what we talked about next week, but it's him that's named is on the score sheet again with another towering header off another kind of broken down set piece. Any thoughts about his goal? For me, about Carl Bartley and like you said, the box defender, he basically did what he did in our box, in their box. And I think it can be devastating for an opposition if Carl Bartley acts like he does in our box, but puts it on target, you know, like, and that's what he's been doing in the last couple of matches. So hopefully this year he comes back to his best and he's showing that in the last couple of games. And uh, like we discussed last week, he's probably got some purpose now. And Corbran seems to be giving that to some of the players. And also he's got the ability to fight for his place, especially when there's been some injuries and we've loaned out quite a lot of defenders. He's got to show he's r- rightful for his place, isn't he? Because he's before that, he was on the fan, like you said, fans were on his back and it's not a nice place for him to be and uh, he showed the fans that he has still got something in him. It's interesting, isn't it, now? Carl Bartley's kind of come back into the side. Obviously, Dara Shea was kind of many people's the best defender at the Albion, in inverted commas, at the start of the season. But do you think at this point now, because of how successful he is in terms of being a box defender, but also the attacking threat he has, is Kyle Bartley now undroppable, Alex? Yeah, I think he's having a bit of a renaissance. You know, I think a lot of the players at the moment can be described as warriors, WA. And I think that's down to Corbran and his attitude. I mean, you look at Asante and his work ethic and then Bartley, 
you know, even in the middle, like Yukuslu looks more of a warrior. I, I just, uh, I'm so pleased that we've managed to get Corbran in. The way I'm talking, I, you know, you might see me with a Corbran tattoo on my chest the next time you see me. Really pleased. Pleased that Barley's having a bit of a, a reignition of his career. And you know what? Fair play to Bartley as well, because I think a lot of it is taken in his stride. The criticism, obviously handling the crowd. There's a little bit of that. He sticks his fingers in his ears now. He does the Pereira, doesn't he? When he's celebrating, which I think is fairly tongue in cheek. And I can't exactly remember his words for words, but effectively he kind of came out in the media afterwards and said he understood the frustration of the fans. He knows why people got on his back and he's, he's just handled it really well. And when you can see how like, I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo's interview with Piers Morgan, I think is on right now as we're recording this podcast, how badly it can go when players are kind of upset and feel maligned by a club. Carl Bartley's been such a professional in this whole kind of period of his season where re- other players might have capitulated and gone, we've never seen him again. And we've seen plenty of them at the Albion over the years. The other thing that, again, I think it's just worth saying is the ascension of some players. John Swift added a, another assist to his name proving again that something the guys have pointed out that perhaps his threat in terms of creativity mainly comes from set pieces he's not a prayer in terms of being dynamic in open play but his ability to pick out Kyle Bartley is so devastating as you've rightly pointed out Joe that going forward I feel like set pieces could be we could be one of the best teams in the league in in offensive situations but also in terms of defending as well it's difficult to talk about this game without coming on to the Brandon Thomas Asante goal when you think about like all-time goals at the Albion when I think particularly about the ones that I've seen in person it's got to be right up there it's difficult to say whether or not it's the very very best but so Certainly, when you're talking about great goals in front of the Brummy Road end, that goal is well, well up there. Me and Alex had the vantage point of the Woodman corner to view BTA's overhead scissor kicky kind of taekwondo show kick thing. It was honestly unbelievable and it capped off what was just an absolutely brilliant performance from Thomas Asante. Guys, talk to me about this new cult hero at the Albion. I'm going to just put it out there. If you haven't seen it, it's better than uh, Zlatan's one for Sweden against England. It's one of the best bicycle kicks you're going to see. It's quality. It came from nowhere. It shouldn't have really happened. I know bicycle kicks and overhead kicks are always out of something crazy, but this one shouldn't have happened. He had the player next to him, but he just pulled it out of nowhere, and I didn't know he had that in him, to be honest. I didn't know we were going to see that class, you know, that improvisational we can say that or panache i was gonna say from bta but i think he was shocked himself that he pulled it off to be fair he's <laughs> you know, tried it before though apparently he's tried it in training a couple of times hasn't he uh, well yeah still i still think he was shocked that he like lobbed he, he lobbed a goalkeeper as well yeah, it, it was, was like it was well, two yeah. in one but yeah if you haven't watched it or you weren't at the game and you haven't got around to it just watch it it's pure class and i, I think He's got cult hero written all over him because I, I personally think he's a quality player and when he comes on, whenever he plays, he's he does everything well for a smaller kind of guy. He stands his ground, he holds up the ball, plays in players, he runs down the wing, he does everything. But for me, when Daryl DK is back, he's a lot of he's an impact sub for me when those uh, defenders are tired. That is not a player you want to be coming up against because he's skillful. He's strong because said he holds the ball up. So I, I just think he's a cult. Hero. He's going to become a cult hero because I think he's going to get some of those 
goals where he's going to win the game for us you know like the Burnley game he just seems to be one of those players who just gets on the ball and finishes them off a bit like not as good as and maybe he can be but Kevin Phillips he just gets that goal when you need it I just think he's got that class yeah, for, for me, like what I love about him is how humble he is. In his post-match interview, he was saying like about his goal that you know he's just looking to to get his numbers up, you know, and he's pleased. He, he strikes me as the player where it's obvious that he's got God on his side. He's got that spirit, and he, he can make like you say, Joe. I think he can make things happen in the last minute, like almost magical. So I, I just think, yeah, we've got a, a cult hero in our, in our midst, and. You know, coming from the lower leagues as well, you know, he's, he's earned his stripes, you could say, or he's not sort of made his way the easy way. I think he's a really, like, good player, but even more so an absolutely amazing character. He's still Salford's top goal scorer. What, this season? <laughs> yeah. Crushing it. Nice one, BTA. You know what? He's earned all of the plaudits. Uh, I totally agree with you, Alex. His attitude in that post-match interview... I think you see that in the way he plays. There's something of a real groundedness, just a real determination and, and willingness to, to go the extra yard, to put in that extra sprint or whatever it looks like on the pitch. And he fully earned his first standing ovation when there was that kind of mix-up about whether he was getting substituted or not. And he got that ovation. It led to that picture now that you've seen doing the rounds of Taylor Gardner, Hickman and Carlos Corbin stood side by side, like remonstrating. And they got that, you know, it reminded me of, you remember in the WWF when they had their arms outstretched, like they're begging to be tagged and they're like crawling across the, the ring to run and dive and do that. They were like, oh, no, no. And it was all of this gesticulation happening. And obviously he stayed on the pitch and then he got another standing ovation when he was actually finally substituted. And we saw the, the cameo of, Daryl DK, we'd be remiss talking about this game without mentioning something that probably impacted me and Alex more than anything else while we were watching the game. And that is Carlos Corbran's cream chinos. Now that is alliteration that I'm very proud of, but that's a trend for me. That's a new fashion statement being made. Not only was he wearing cream chinos, but he was squatted down like Marcelo Bielsa and me and Alex were talking about it on the day. It takes a certain level of confidence as a man to squat as hard as he was squatting on the touchline in Cream Chinos. Al, I know you're a big, big fan of Corbin and the transformation he's made, but talk to me about his fashion choice in this in this moment. I, I think not since the early days of Rome has man seen such bravery to wear chinos so close to the ground just such a courageous man so fair play to him a modern day hero the other thing that was interesting taking place on the sideline was this mini drama that we were all embroiled on of watching daryl dk warm up and there were like certain periods where he'd run back to the the dugout and there'd be a little bit of a whisper and a hustle and bustle. And then there would be him coming back down to the corner of the Brim Road and the Halfords Lane and, and continuing to warm up stretch. And then he was doing it in his kit with a bib on. It looked like this finally might be the moment. And eventually he did come in, come on, sorry, and paid for what? Maybe the last six or seven minutes of the game. Didn't really get much to do. He absolutely 
flattened someone, which was quite interesting to see that there's obviously a fair amount of confidence in his body to kind of physically exert himself and be so dominant in a kind of challenge certainly unafraid to test out like the muscles in his legs. One of the things that me and you were talking about at the game, Alex, was he does have an unusual gait for running anyway. It almost looks like he's carrying a knock when he's naturally running. Did you notice that as well? Yeah, I think Rogic has got a good run with his chest out. Powerful man. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I think he, he's definitely a unit, isn't he, DK? I wouldn't like to be stood in his way when he gets up to full speed. With all his little appearances, has he made 90 minutes yet? Have we we seen 90 minutes he's played? Crack the threshold, that's yeah. What was it? Millwall QPR last season, Middlesbrough. And did he play another game this season? I don't know. This is the level of research you can come to expect from the Hawthorns Debate Club. This authority yep. and voice in the wilderness. We leave the analytics to the other people, <laughs> the, the professionals. No, but he might be running like that because... He has had many injuries. He's a big guy, and he. Like I think he runs like a big guy. I think that's literally what it is. He runs like he's bloody massive, and we're used to seeing kind of wiry or more athletic built guys. And this, this bloke, he looks like an NFL player. Mm. I just hope we get a run with him, mm. and hopefully, I think that probably moves us into what core brands organise, isn't it? Really, because they're going warm weather training camp to make their muscles more pliable mm. and less likely to tear because we don't get much vitamin d in the winter so they go for warm weather that was the meteorology report with joe there yeah i think this carlos corboran warm weather training obviously the players on holiday for the rest of this week and you know what i think that would have frustrated fans three weeks ago to feel like this group of players were going away to dubai and off gallivanting wherever players go but you know what go enjoy yourselves guys have a good break and come back refreshed ready to go again but well we've got no players going to the world cup so the idea of them having this focused time of training in carlos corbrand's homeland and you know what is it gladiator where he's got the corn barley and like it's he's spanish isn't he and i can just picture corbrand walking through returning home and his hand running for not that like he's not in heaven he's just like his hand on the barley i don't I don't think they're going to enjoy themselves with Corbran. I just don't think he's one person to let... I think they'll they'll have their time off in the evening, but in training, it's going to be hard. I bet it's not easy. Yeah, there'll be no joy riding and nicking taxis. <laughs> no, yeah, not like at all. Taxi companies across the south of Spain are on high alert for the next three weeks. It's really interesting, though. Our friends over at Albion Analytics, Pete, who runs the Twitter page over there, has produced a graphic that describes just how much of a bounce Carlos Corbran has given us. Obviously, the result on Saturday took us out of the relegation zone, and I believe we've got a game in hand, and we're, what, eight points behind the playoffs now? Not that we're getting carried away. Not that we're not having reset expectations. Just staying up is enough, and blah, 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 blah. But another couple of wins strung together and you see how compressed this league table is this year. And you think there's not many teams outside of Burnley that seem to carry this threat and momentum across more than a couple of games. And sure enough, some teams do go on good runs, but most teams seem capable of bad runs as well or poor runs of form. Currently, under Corbran, he's taken us from 
in terms of performance wise from a mid table side to a automatic promotion side in terms of expected goal difference under Steve Bruce we'd slowly declined as the season was going on in terms of expected goal difference the odd thing being that Steve Bruce and Chris mentioned this last week kind of oversaw a lot of games where Albion in terms of XG were unlucky we were conceding more goals than we should be and not scoring as many goals as we should be and we were creating chances and Button was rubbish in conceding every shot that he faced. And consequently, we were losing a lot of games where there's a very fine margin of perhaps one goal. And it was taking them from being wins to draws and from draws to losses. So there were fine margins at play. But if you go onto the Albion Analytics Twitter page and you see the graphic yourself, it is such a steep incline under Carlos Corbran that he's taken us from as I say, a mid-table performing side to some t- a team that could expect to finish in the automatic playoff slots. I think that gives kind of a statistical figure to the love that Alex is espousing. And that wasn't me jumping on your research corner there, Alex, because we haven't been to your research corner in a while. No, it's a barren land at the moment. I think the championship this year is, I think the team that sums it up this year, every time I think about Coventry, I think, oh, they're still bottom. They're now 11th with two games in hand on everybody with 29 points. If they win those two games because they're one of the best forms of the thing. They'll be fourth in the championship. And it was only two weeks, two, two and a half weeks ago, they're bottom of the championship. It's ridiculous how quickly you can move up in this league. And how, like you were saying, we were very close in the Steve Bruce, but how that gap, there was always like three or four points gap on the relegation zone. And that's where it was starting to, uh, where people were starting to get worried. And I think that's why Steve Bruce was, in the end of the day, sacked around that. But Corbran has got us above the relegation zone. And now we can just move. Every time we win, we will move three or four places up. It's like that in the championship. Even if we draw, we probably move a couple. It's just crazy. Mm-hmm. Everyone's beating each other. And even Burnley aren't good. You know, they'll they all go on a bad run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no teams look totally invincible to me. And I think it's something that I think we've all said at various points over the last few weeks, you start to appreciate that attention to detail in terms of football matches and preparation for football matches and in-game attention to detail is the difference more often than not in these kind of results or these close games and that that across the season can lead to kind of a massive change in position and you only have to look at Steve Bruce and kind of as we've all spoken about the Elias Burke there was a distinct lack of attention to detail and then you come in and you kind of have the flip side of that coin which is Carlos Corbran and he's sat Thomas Asante down a relatively young inexperienced player and he's going through games from years ago from his time at Salford and MK Dons he's gone back he's done the research he's done the time to actually analyze a player's game to a level of detail and now we're seeing the benefits of that week in week out I knew we were getting a good manager in Corbin but I'm not quite sure I believed it would be anywhere near as much of a, a kind of one improvement but two bounce I didn't think the squad of players were capable of it to be honest I thought the, the squad itself was broken and I mean we spoke about it on the podcast how it looked like a major overhaul was required now it looks like a few tweaks and we really could be that blitzkrieg team who just go on a run like Villa did and, and other teams, Forest did. And that's not to kind of, oh, well, I suppose in some ways it is kind of raising the bar of expectation, but it just feels like 
a breath of fresh air to be able to say that we've got a manager who could catapult us into that promotion battle again. Yeah, I remember about three weeks ago saying that we needed a miracle worker. Like I really didn't see a way out of our demise. But now under Corbyn, like it is looking a lot rosier. And hopefully it's not just like a new manager bounce. Hopefully he can sustain it throughout the rest of the season. I totally, totally agree. I suppose the last thing we need to cover from this game was in regard to stuff that isn't happening on the pitch. But again, the protests off the pitch, the action for Albion group were organising further protests at this game. Following the kind of success of the Shine a Light campaign where everyone turned on their torches against Blackpool, there was now the blow the whistle on the board. This one in the ground, I think the idea is creative and original and obviously we're in support of what the guys are doing and we've been sharing the tweets and whatnot. This one didn't land as hard in the ground. Me and Alex kind of noticed that it was it didn't have the same impact or gravity as the light one did. I think a lot of more people seem to get involved with the torch on your phone one. And I think it, it kind of showed that if you put a few more steps involved in the protest, i.e. downloading a, an app and stuff like that, it suddenly creates another threshold. And though, although people can whistle like manually is that what you say when you use your mouth to do it when you can produce your own whistle sound if you're not good at that it kind of sounds pathetic and so i think in the ground it definitely happened but it wasn't kind of this deafening cacophony of like eagle calls i think why the shiner light worked is it's kind of contagious isn't it if you see everyone do it Anybody can do that. Everyone's got a phone. But if the whistle thing doesn't work, people could be whistling at the referee or you kind of, if someone hasn't seen that post or heard of the, what we're doing in the 12th minute, it kind of can get lost behind just normal chattering of fans and cheering on away fans. But like you said, the idea is creative and maybe there's something else we can do around that type of thing. Don't know what it is, but which could make a louder noise. Maybe something that isn't a whistle. Maybe it's a different type of noise, so you can pick it out from the murmurings of uh, fans in the uh, stadium. Like whale noises. Oh. <laughs> Alex, what noise should we make? Well, me and Jamie, like we had a discussion about it, and we, we thought that we should do synchronised Morse code with the, uh, the lights. We did talk about that, yeah. Um, that would be something. But, um, yeah, I think the whistling wasn't that effective you know credit to the the people behind you know action for albion they deserve a lot of credit and keep on at them keep trying different things and you know hopefully something will work sooner rather than later 100 percent. and i think i i did i had the app alex will vouch i did have the app on my phone alex didn't i you did and i pressed the sos button on it and it was even with my volume maxed out on my phone quieter than the ambient noise of the stadium yeah, I reckon there must have been a lot of dogs outside the stadium. One you know who beckoned them. So true, Alex. And we did notice <laughs> that there was like birds circling above the Albion. And it was only when they departed from above the skies of the Albion that we actually scored. And hence, that was the... Even my my children were pointing out the, the, the presence of that omen. Um, and I don't know whether, you, like you said, Alex, that the whistles had kind of summoned the animal kingdom like we were the ark but there was definitely like unusual animal behaviors going on around the ground following the 12th minute maybe it was all a, 
a ploy to eradicate a curse on the Hawthorns. And now we're just going to win the league. There's many things at foot that we don't understand and can't explain under Carlos Corbran. But I'm excited to see where it leads us. Let's kind of move out of our talk about the Stoke game. We're not going to go into too much detail. We might have an exciting guest on next week. That's 2BC, to be confirmed, TBC. It will be uh, another kind of exciting person. We love all of our guests that we've had on, and this will be another person for us to love. So stay tuned for that. Obviously, we'll be in the, the throes of the World Cup there. We're not quite decided how we're going to respond to the World Cup at this point. We probably will do a couple of podcasts, but obviously the main thrust of what we talk about on the Hawthorns Debate Club is West Brom. So we'll kind of be more or less talking about the season thus far. Um, and we have been talking about it a little bit on Twitter as well. Let's get to the news. Albion's women team won their latest game against Crew Alexander 4-0. Some really good goals that were being shared on Instagram. There's some really good ones that you can go back and watch on the WBA women's Instagram page. Half season tickets are now on sale. Just to confirm, my wife did come despite the kind of restraining order issued by the Albion general public. She did come to the game of Stoke and witnessed her first goal ever scored by the notorious Carl Bartley. And Brandon Thomas Asante is now her favourite player of all time in world football. So she's particularly excited and she's now got a season ticket. So may the, the flood of goals continue for her sake. But you can also go and buy half season tickets. I, I'm really interested. This is an interesting thing, not just being in the news. Do you think, because where me and Alex sit in the Woodman corner, and I'm, I'm hesitant to put this out there because obviously me and Alex don't want to be mobbed. But um, there are quite a lot of spots around us, aren't there, Alex? And we've noticed that over the weeks that the tendencies, despite what the figures might say in the Sports Argus or wherever on Teletext, wherever you look up the attendance figures, there's definitely not that many people in the ground. Like, and, and when you watch the highlights of the sky, you can see huge sections of like empty seats. Um, and then it will say that there was 22,000 people and it's just, it can't possibly be true that there were 22,000. Now, I know there's all different ways of counting the number of bodies in stadiums and all kinds of tricks that teams use to try and bolster the numbers, etc., etc. But do you think that we'll see a little bit of an uptick in attendances because of the, the Corbyn effect? Yeah. I mean, I hesitate to use the word glory hunters, but... You know, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a bad thing really at all. I'd encourage the more the merrier. But yeah, I think Corbyn's come in and he really has just changed the outlook. I can see sunshine again. There's no more dark clouds above the Hawthorns. It's it's a lovely place to be now. So you know, if anyone's sort of on the edge of getting a season ticket or not, I would definitely say it's definitely worth it. When does the half season ticket kick in? Well, are we twenty games into the season now? Twenty. Yeah, we're twenty here. Yeah. So I think, I'm hoping, for my wife's sake, that it starts immediately until the end of the season. But I have already emailed West Bromwich Albion's ticket office to actually confirm exactly when the ticket does start. But hey-ho, that's an exciting email for me to open tomorrow. And if you do want to sit next to me and Albion, and if you do want to sit next to me and (laughs) Alex, we're in the Woodman Corner. We're friendly. We're approachable and Alex has said many times he's happy to sign autographs and if any of those kids at the end of the game <laughs> have got those signs that say can we have your shirt Alex he's usually he doesn't just clap them and ignore them and walk off he will always give his shirt 
He so, wears about six shirts to the game. So yeah. many, many given out. I'm not going to deny it or I'm not going to endorse it. He does. You know what? Alex isn't afraid of layers. I'll say that. Finally, on kind of ticket news, there's an offer that's been splashed across in the WBA page today on Wednesday, that is. And it's you can bring a guest if you're a season ticket holder, £10 for adults, £5 for under 25 year olds. Is that right? Yeah. So if you've got any um, friends that you want to bring to the Albion, bring them. Our next game isn't till mine and Joe's dad's birthday at the Stadium of Light. Sunderland, the 12th of December, 8 o'clock. Is that on TV? You'd think so on a Monday, wouldn't you? You would. You would. We're going to hesitate to say that it is. And obviously now we get a bit of a World Cup break now. Who's going to win the World Cup? Joe. France. Alex? FIFA. Whoa. Alex has been watching Netflix. No, I think uh, Brazil. I'm going to go Argentina. Top goal scorer, Joe? Mbappe. Alex? Oh, now you're asking. I'm going to say Muller. <laughs> nice. I will go with... I did want to say Mbappe as well, but I'm going to be for different sake. I'm going to go Benzema. And how far will England get, Joe? Waters. Oh? I'm going to say the final. I think the second round. I think we go out early. Dark horse of the tournament? Denmark. Nice. Uh, I'm going to say Canada. Nice. I think America are mine. I think America might be my kind of outside shot. You said America, Jamie. Does that, are you sort of saying like Brazil, Mexico, Argentina? Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just American. having two continents worth of teams. Um, Could you just specify that you mean the USA, please, just for the uh, for the audit trail? Uh, okay, I mean Freddie Adu's the United States of America. And final question then is, how many penalty shootouts will England be involved in? Higher or lower than one? Higher. Lower. I will go push one. Very good. That's our World Cup preview there, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the World Cup preview. You can expect that high-level analysis throughout the World Cup. We are all excited about the tournament. Obviously, it presents an awful lot of strange complexities for fans, as Qatar obviously boasts a really poor humanitarian right, and with all of these terrible stats about corruption and the number of people who've lost their lives building stadiums, the labour laws that exist in Qatar and and various concerns about attitudes to LGBT communities within the nation. And it's an unfair position that it leaves football fans in, in my opinion, at least, where we're forced to make a moral decision about whether to watch a, a game essentially and it's a sad situation so we understand that some people perhaps not interested in hearing anything about the world cup at all and some people are making the decision to not watch or follow anything to do with it for other people who are going to carry on and watch the tournament hopefully you enjoy it i think all three of us here are going to watch it and enjoy it and hopefully it comes home can't see it personally but hopefully it comes home Right, well, that will do for this week's episode of the Hawthorne Debate Club. All that remains for me to say is a huge thank you to you, Alex Collins. Thank you. 
thank you and a huge thank you to joe clay cheers and thank you for listening to this week's episode of the hawthorne's debate club we'll see you next week Sweet dreams.